Hello, and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast. This is an interlude, Infinite Waters, a look at how life and the universe were created by the gods. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form, a void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Sorry, wrong book. Let's try that again. In the beginning, the universe was an ocean. The ocean was infinite, and it was contradictory. Turbulent and calm, light and dark. It was all things, and it was nothing. The ocean was beyond knowledge. It was infinity itself. The name of this ocean was Noon. Noon, or waters, was how the universe began, as far as the Egyptians were concerned. It came before anything else, before God, before creation, before life. The noon filled the universe, but the universe itself did not exist. Noon was a paradox, a swirling chaotic mass. All matter, all life, all potential was contained within its depths, and yet none of these things existed. The Egyptians described this period like this. Quote, it was a time before the sky came into being, before the earth came into being, before men came into being. Before the gods were born, before death came into being. End quote. That quote comes from the pyramid texts, one of Egypt's first recorded bodies of religious hymns, spells, and literature. It is the closest thing we have to an origin story for the Egyptian gods. Before there was anything, there was nothing. So, our story begins in darkness. It begins in water. It begins in the noon. This quote gives us a sense of what was important, what the ingredients were for creation. By telling us what wasn't there, the Egyptians give us an idea of what should be there, if the universe was going to exist. Apparently, ancient Egyptians considered the sky and the earth essential. Fair enough, those are pretty useful elements for our planet. But humans were also essential. Again, it makes sense, although maybe we'd be a bit more cynical about that today. The gods were also essential, of course, and death was essential. Without death, there was no life, no renewal, no cycle. Death, gods, humans, earth, and sky. These were the key ingredients needed to create the world. Although the gods had not come into being, had not been born yet, the waters of noon were not empty. Within the swirling infinite mass, a set of eight beings, or symbols, embodied different concepts and ideas. These eight beings were arranged in four pairs, one male, one female. All around there was Noon and his counterpart Nunet. They were the infinite water itself. Then there was Kek and Keket, a pair of frogs who were infinite darkness. After this, there was Hech and Hechet, the infinity of time in all its circles and limitlessness. Finally, there was Amun and Amunet, whose names mean something like the Hidden One. Amun and Amunet were the invisible essence at the heart of existence. Like a breath of wind, they were there but unseen. Amun and Amunet would later become quite important. Here, at the start, they were simply part of the group. 
The eight primordial gods is known as the Ogdoad, meaning the eight. They were worshipped in a town called Chemenu, or Town of the Eight, and this town was later called Hermopolis by the Greeks. For this reason, Egyptologists refer to Amun, Amunet, Kek, Keket, Nun, Nunet, Hech, and Hechet as the Hermopolitan Ogdoad. They are, essentially, the secret beings who came before creation. If that seems confusing, it is. The Egyptians never resolved the paradox of having gods that existed before existence itself. I'm sure they tried, but ultimately it may have seemed pointless. What mattered was how the universe was created. One day, or rather one moment, because days were not a thing yet, the waters of noon rippled. They rippled and bubbled and then parted, and from their depths a low mound of earth began to rise. This mound was the first piece of matter, the centre from which all creation grew. It was with this mound that creation as a process began. Atop the mound of earth, a single flower emerged. It was a lotus flower, one of the most common in Egypt, and from this lotus came a being. Small at first, but rapidly growing, the being grew, stood up, and stretched his limbs. This being was a god, the first god, the creator himself. His name was Atum. Atum the creator came forth. We call him Atum, but the Egyptian pronunciation might be closer to Temu, aka the one who is complete. Atum was everything, the beginning and end of all existence. From Atum, the universe and the earth were born. He is a great god, worshipped throughout Egyptian history, and we tend to see him on temples as a tall, bearded man. He is youthful and strong, as gods always are, and he wears a tall crown adorned with feathers. Atum is the lord of all, the master of reality. He created the universe, and how he did this is quite interesting. Atum came out of the waters and began the process of creation. He did this in a most unusual way. Quote, Atum is the one who developed, growing. He put his penis in his grasp so that he could make an orgasm with it. Thus, the two siblings were born. End quote. Atum created the first elements by an act of masturbation. This might seem strange, but it has a certain human logic to it. The Egyptians understood that semen helps to create children. They recognized that sex leads to childbirth. But since Atum was by himself, he didn't have a goddess with whom to procreate. So he had to do it by hand, as it were. For this, he relied upon the other essential ingredient of life, water. But where would he get water? Well, Atum's semen mixed with the waters of noon and gave life to two children, new gods for Atum's burgeoning world. Their names were Shu, a boy, and Tefnut, a girl. They were the first beings to be born into the new universe. Shu and Tefnut were the gods of the air and moisture, respectively. Their powers were vast and covered all the elements of the new fledgling universe. Shu's home was in the mists and fog, his bones were the clouds. Tefnut, meanwhile, was a bit more mysterious. She was said to give pure water to the pharaoh, and perhaps to keep the atmosphere in order. Tefnut's role is a little bit vague, but she is connected a lot with ideas of reality, order, and the way the world should be. 
This is the concept ma'at, which we will explore in a later episode. Atum created Shu and Tefnut. This brother and sister pair soon came together and coupled in order to produce a third generation of gods. Once again, the new children were a pair of twins, a girl and a boy. Their names were Newt and Jeb. Newt and Jeb came forth. Newt, the goddess, was the sky. Jeb was the earth. Newt and Jeb were gods of heaven and ground. Newt stretched her body out across the celestial sphere, creating the atmosphere of the world. Her fingertips touched one horizon, her toes the other. In between, her body sparkled with the brilliance of the stars. Down on earth, Jeb lay flat on his back, stretched across the ground, touching Newt's toes and fingertips with his. As Jeb did this, his father Shu came between them. Shu stood upon the earth and lifted the sky up high. Thus, land, air, and heaven came into being. The earth was beginning to form. Phew! There were a lot of names there, right? Newt and Jeb, Tefnut and Shu, Atum, the eight gods of the primordial waters, and Noon, the water itself. A lot to take in. Don't worry, I won't quiz you, and many of these gods are sort of background for our story. Atum is pretty important, of course, as the lord of creation, and Shu and Tefnut will become prominent sometimes, as different kings worship them or identify with them in different ways. The others? Well, Jeb and Newt are always around, keeping the planet together, but they don't do much, and that goes for Noon and the eight primordial beings as well. They are interesting, and they are there on the fringes of religious worship, but overall, they don't play a big role. Moving forward, it's important to remember Atum above all. He's going to be around for a long time, and play a big role in a variety of ways. When it came to Atum, the great creator, the writers of the pyramid texts were absolutely verbose in their worship. In particular, they praised his creation and his eternal protection of the king of Egypt. Quote, O Atum who appears, you have arisen on the first mound, in the mansion of the mound, in the city of Eunu. O Atum, place your arms around the king, around this monument, around this pyramid, like the arms of a car spirit, so that the king's spirit may be within it, enduring for ever and ever. O Atum, place your protection over this king, over this pyramid of his, so that you may guard against anything happening to him, for ever and ever. Do this just as your protection was placed over Shu and Tefnut. End quote. Atum, the creator and lord of all, would take the king, the pyramid, and Egypt within his embrace. He would fill his arms with protective magic and guard the spirit of the pharaoh in eternity. Through his grace, Atum would guarantee the stability of the land. Atum was the best. That's the essential gist of the Egyptian's story of creation. I've simplified it a bit and left some minor details out, but overall, this seems to be the basic format. The waters of noon existed, and then a god emerged, and that god created the world as we know it. In this process, a variety of beings came into existence, and all parts of planet Earth came together. Soon enough, that planet was ready for life. In the next interlude, I will tell of how the gods created humanity 
how we came into being, lived under the guidance and majesty of the divine, and then lost it all in a stupid act of rebellion. As the Egyptian creation continues, humanity comes onto the scene, and things change forever. Oh, one more thing. Stick around after the music for a short epilogue to this story. The great god Atum created the universe, so the stories say. But the tale I've told you is not the only version that the Egyptians recorded. The Egyptians were a flexible society. Worshipping many gods, they told many tales, and over the centuries, several different versions of this creation myth came into play. As far as we can guess, and there is very limited evidence for the early days, the tales of Atum were prominent in a few major temples. Most notably, the temple of Iunu, or Heliopolis, was central to Atum's cult, particularly when he later became known as Atum Ra, or just Ra, the sun god. Likewise, the town of Chemenu, or Eight Town, called Hermopolis, was the centre of worship for the eight primordial beings whom we know as the Ogdoad. At Hermopolis in southern Egypt, the Ogdoad were popular subjects of worship, and their cult flourished for millennia. The story I want to tell you now, though, is quite different. At a town called Eneb Hedge, aka the city of Memphis, a different cult grew up around a different god. This being was named Ptah, and in some stories it was Ptah, not Atum, who created the universe and the earth. He did this in an absolutely marvellous fashion. The story goes that Ptah, or Petech in Egyptian, was the lord of the city of Memphis. His temple was there for more than 2,000 years, and throughout the many centuries of our story, Ptah will be a great master of the city. In particular, Ptah was responsible for artistry, craftsmanship, invention, and for parts of the afterlife. Along the way, Ptah's association with craftworking and manufacturing made him a natural fit for some of the ideas of a creator. So it was that a tale came into being in which Ptah, not Atum, created the world we know. It goes like this, quote, These are the gods who came into being as Ptah. Ptah upon the great throne, Ptah Nun, the father who created Atum, Ptah Nunet, the mother who bore Atum, Ptah the Great, who is the heart and tongue of the divine council. There came into being, from the heart or mind, and from the tongue, a thing in the form of Atum. The mighty, great one is Ptah, who caused all gods to live, by means of his heart, his mind. End quote. Ptah, lord of many forms, created Atum and the other gods through the power of his thoughts. As a being so closely associated with invention, it was Ptah's mind, his heart, that had the ultimate power over the universe. Every other god, every group of gods, came forth from Ptah in some way. He was the father and the mother of the pantheon. Quote, Ptah pronounced the name of everything, the sight of the eyes, the hearing of the ears, and the smelling of the air by the nose. Thus all the gods were born, and Ptah's counsel was completed. Every word of the god came into being through what his heart thought, and his tongue commanded. 
end quote. Pitar imagined the things he wanted to exist and spoke their names aloud. When he did this, the thing that he had named came into being. Gods, concepts, ideals. Everything was the work of Pitar's immense mind and his powerful speech. In this version of the creation story, Pitar was the god of all gods. A tale like this might tempt you to think that the Egyptians believed in just one god, with all the others being part of him. Some scholars have even compared the idea of Ptah creating things with his speech to the ideas found in Hebrew theology. Meanwhile, the idea that Ptah created things by the power of thought have been compared to the Christian concept of the Logos, or reason, one of the essential elements of the being that they call God. I'm a historian, not a theologian, and I won't get into the intricacies of where religious ideas come from, and which religions filter into which. But I will say that throughout this podcast, we will see many examples of the Egyptian religions and their ideas coming remarkably close to what we later find in the faiths of Abraham. Judaism, Christianity, Islam, all of these faiths draw from a few common sources, and while their interpretations differ, they share some fundamental ideas. Some of those ideas came from Zoroastrianism, others from Greek philosophy, and some from more ancient sources. Among the latter, the Egyptian gods have many legacies today. Music